JB, uh, really enjoying the uh, boutique feel that you have going on behind you there. Uh, where are you exactly? Well, uh, as you know, my wife, Jen, has been studying to be a uh, mental health um, therapist, counselor. Uh, so this is going to be the like the Zen of Jen room for uh, doing some telehealth and, along with some in-person you know, clients, stuff that she'll be doing uh, later this fall. So we got the little, you know, we got the little, you know, orchids and, uh, you know, like the wood, you know, the wooden guy and the mountain pose, the BU, you know, positive, you know, therapeutic. And, uh, you know, I think we all, we all could use a little better mental health uh, these days, Frank, because the, the hits just keep on coming. Um, I don't know. I, I remember being in your at your place in in New York City last year and, and riding up that big elevator and maybe it's maybe it's not there or not but it seems like we're skipping floor thirteen season thirteen is just gonna <laughs> go by the wayside yeah, so. man uh, first off I gotta ask you do I get like free counseling sessions as part, you know the friends and family program here because I think I'm gonna need I'm, it this fall without football yeah seriously you and me both so uh, we'll, we'll be jen's first clients for sure <laughs> but the bigger question is going to become are we even going to have spring football at this point that's what this show is going to focus on a little bit more because the ncaa sent us some documentation uh got plenty of it here to uh go through with light everybody reading. yeah uh light reading with really not much sense to be made out of it uh, we've had another whirlwind day unexpectedly today with uh, the decisions that were made. We want to break it down for you because if we feel confused by some of this stuff, we think you're probably confused by some of it as well. And so we want to talk to you about what this all means because this is going to affect everybody for the next eight months, whether we like it or not at this point, or make it even closer to 10 months probably when you yeah. really get down to it. Uh, I guess there's nothing else to do besides to say, our 11th postseason show, because, again, this ain't the preseason, because there isn't a preseason nope. to be had right now, folks. Uh, this is In the Huddle. Okay, before we go too far here, we want to uh, first off uh, send our condolences uh, to our good friend Eric Wren. Uh, his mom, Joyce, passed away uh, this weekend, and uh, as I said on Twitter, she was one of our original fans, her and Stan Wren, her late husband, who uh, died uh, not that long ago. Uh, he was a, an Alfred football alum, and uh, Stan yep. and Joyce were big fans of uh, the work that Eric did. Starting this show back in 2008, the first uh, few seasons he was with us uh, on the show. Mm -hmm. And they even listened to us sometimes even after that uh, when Eric uh, retired from the show. And yeah. uh, she's a dear friend, a huge loss for us, and uh, condolences to the Wren family. In fact, uh, this show is coming out Thursday morning, later on Thursday. Uh, there will be the wake and Friday the funeral uh, right down the street from where I am recording from here in Boston Spa. New York, if you're in the area uh, and know Eric, uh, please stop by, send your condolences somehow to him and his family as we do grieve uh, for our friend. Uh, we also are going to grieve in a different way for uh, Division Three and the sports uh, and student-athletes related to it. Uh, we want to uh, get some perspective after we talk a little bit about the decisions, and we're going to have Eric Hart, the Director of Athletics from Brockport joining us in a little bit here on the show. And uh, you are, as always, dressed to the nines for uh, our interviews uh, appropriately. <laughs> do, you, do you have like the garbage can uh, near you? Uh, because I think you have the Brockport garbage pail, didn't you, at one point? I did, I, I did get that for like four bucks on Fanatics. That's in, in my office downstairs, but yeah. <laughs> well done. Well, uh, we'll have him, like I said, in a little bit. But first, we want to go through some of the guidance today. And let's look at the first. In our first uh, set of uh, guidelines and uh, directives here comes from the Board of Governors. Uh, they had a meeting yesterday, uh, or what I should call Tuesday, uh, at this point as the show's coming out Thursday. So Tuesday they met, Wednesday they uh, put out their guidance uh, and directives. And there were, I believe, uh, four categories total that we uh, counted here 
from a document that got sent to us from the NCAA. You're seeing the first uh, category is health and safety. First thing, all member schools conducting fall sports programs must employ and adhere to the protocol set forth in the Resocialization of Collegiate Sport Developing Standards for Practice and Competition document and subsequent updates. Such protocols should be implemented for all athletically related activities, voluntary required and out of season, and in-season practice and competition, including preseason, regular season, and postseason. And that raised a lot of eyebrows today, the fact that it's including preseason, regular season, and postseason. Uh, if a change in local circumstances uh, warrants the discontinuation of athletic activities, schools should make that decision in conjunction with public health officials, etc. Uh, also, in this uh, column, because the resocialization document and later updates cannot speak to every scenario or circumstance involving potential exposure to COVID-19, it must not be used as an absolute fail-safe document, but rather should be augmented with guidance from campus, local, state, and federal authorities and other bodies most familiar with the specific circumstances of a community. When you read those two together, JB, uh, it's a very daunting scenario here. These were guidelines, the testing guidelines, yeah. for instance, until basically yesterday. Now, they're requirements. And while it states it's for fall season, I can't see how they change it to not applying to any spring or winter sports ultimately their guidelines or requirements for any season they issue these guidelines you would have to think it doesn't say that verbosely but you've got to read into it but also while they push through the guidelines as requirements they're admitting their requirements are not biblical in any sense of the word that they need to be augmented by other things that may be out there we had a conference the arc american rivers conference that said they wanted to play they were not going to use the testing guidelines from the NCAA. And I'm going to, uh, before I let you have the floor here, go to a statement from our friend Chuck Jurgen, uh, the commissioner. And he said earlier, still moving ahead, I will confirm, but I, as I read this, if a division wants to conduct fall championships, these guidelines become required. Uh, but the D3 governance already has more than hinted that if federated, the decision would be to cancel fall championships. The Board of Governors announcement confirms it will be up to each division and without the championships, guidelines, for instance, testing, remain just that. But he is getting some further, uh, let's say, guidance from the NCAA or appealing to them for more information to make that decision. So the ARC right now is on the ropes because we can't really read this as being anything but a requirement now for in-season play, even if there's not a championship. This change well, is a huge change, JB. Yeah, yeah, it is. But the big, the biggest question mark I have is the, it's like, or what, <laughs> you know? Um, what if the ARC, you know, continues along their plan with, you know, what uh, they, they felt is a, another acceptable form of guidance? Are they... Do they get fined? Uh, does there some is there some kind of like NCAA you know admonishment for for doing something else? I, it, it didn't seem it didn't seem clear to me. Um, you know, once all, it, the, the whole thing if it's if it's just guidance, it's supposed to be you know, something that informs what ultimately is a decision that's being made at like the college president or, or conference level. Um, to sort of do the switch now that the NCAA saying we're requiring this, yeah, how do they really enforce it? When we saw the thing about, you know, this hotline that they're going to make, you know, like the tattletale thing. What, Let's give know, ahead to that, actually. Yeah, now that you mentioned it, we'll, we'll put it up here. Uh, the NCAA will publicize a phone number and email address for concerns to be raised about whether an athletics department is meeting the obligations reflected in the resocialization standards or otherwise engaged in behavior that puts student-athletes at risk of COVID-19. Upon receiving a concern, the NCAA will notify the campus athletics healthcare administrator and conference office about the concern. The athletics healthcare administrator will be expected to take immediate reasonable measures to review the concern and notify the NCA of action taken if action is necessary. And uh, they bestow it on the divisions to come up with uh, some better guidance as to what that means. But basically, we do have a tattletale health line, or hotline uh, coming up here. Despite the fact that we can't really 
easily determine what you'd be reporting or what is reportable ultimately. Uh, you know, if you feel something is dangerous, but, you know, it might not be, could you be getting your school in trouble? It, it's very wide open what that it kind of makes me think of that that uh, tweet that that Pat Forty from Yahoo Sports put out, like basically like PSA to college kids, like don't go to parties. Basically, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, what are you supposed to do? Yeah, yeah, man. seriously. Well, look, uh, there's the hotline. Uh, so that was category number two uh, of the four. Uh, here's one: student athlete well-being. This one shook a lot of people uh, today when they saw, and you'll see why. First, all student athletes must be provided uh, an opportunity to opt out of participation due to concerns about contracting COVID-19. That's not surprising, okay? And this was the whole Pac-10, Big Ten unification thing we saw uh, that one of the things we were asking for is, uh, you know, opting out without ramifications. Okay, we get that. Also, appropriate eligibility-related accommodations must be made for student-athletes who opt out of participating this fall or whose seasons are interrupted or cut short due to COVID-19. In other words, the school has to provide some kind of accommodation for their eligibility if they choose to opt out or can't play for some other reason. Okay, that sort of means they got to make it easy for a fifth year, it sounds like, in some format, uh, if they want to come back for their eligibility. That's how I read that. Again, the the divisions have to give some better guidance on that. Uh, Third, this is where things get very, very tough here. While statements of personal commitment to health and safety are acceptable, whatever that means, member schools may not require student athletes to waive their legal rights regarding COVID-19 as a condition of athletics participation. Stated as an attorney right now, let me tell you what that means. Liability waivers are not permitted to be mandatory. In other words, they're not permitted, okay? Because who would sign a liability waiver unless it's mandatory to participate? Suddenly, the burden is gonna be borne fully by the school. Furthermore, before I let you jump in on this, divisions must develop rules providing that member schools will cover COVID-19 related health costs related to infections that local health officials reasonably believe were the result of student athletes sports participation. That's huge because let's say athlete, student athlete A goes to a party two days before testing and for whatever reason they take their test and infection doesn't show up on Wednesday. Right. Saturday they play and suddenly they're sick. Well, there's a good chance that whoever is making decisions as to how this applies would blame the school's athletic participation uh, or the student athlete's athletic participation for creating the sickness scenario and thereby right. force the school to pay the bills related to it, even though it was probably the student athlete's own choice in this case that we're talking about that made them get infected. Suddenly, those last two points about the liability waiver and the you know, remedy of paying for the bills that go associated with that uh, infection are game changers for Division three schools. They don't have the money to cover these things. And this goes to a deeper question of why would you play any sport until the, the entire situation is resolved, which is not till probably next fall at this point. Why would you as a Division three school play at all until this is resolved, period. What do you think? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I know that earlier in the summer, we, you know, we were hopeful um, that, you know, there could be situations uh, and we had seen a few, uh, what I thought were pretty well thought out uh, plans to kind of slowly, uh, you know, work up to, um, you know, sort of full contact uh, types of things. And, um but yeah, now nowadays the way things have kind of kind of gone, I mean, there's still a part of me that feels like we we could or should have waited until uh, September before making these you know, sweeping decisions. But then again, um, you know, there's there's an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal today about you know are, are schools really ready to reopen um, in the fall for you know colleges and universities? And there's certainly you know a lot of people out there that feel like you know even though all the best intentions and, and plans and all this type of thing that 
all it takes is like one little incident and you know it could totally can set back a school tremendously um you know just one party where 29 kids got sick or something i mean it doesn't it's all it's going to take is a little thing and, and the chances of these people actually really being that sick you know most likely kids that age are more asymptomatic carriers you know probably not going to need to get hooked up to a ventilator you know barring some kind of pre-existing condition uh but if they have one of those they're probably not a you know varsity division three you know athlete anyway so i you know, i don't know um if there's a lot there's definitely a gives you pause when when you kind of think about it and like but yeah these new requ- these new requirements are definitely uh killers <laughs> for the fall season and we kind of saw it coming these are killers um, least, not just least... for a fall season jb and let me let me go a step further and you know, being involved in other social sports leagues and whatnot, we've already been reviewing how you handle the situation, and that how you handle it is you talk to your insurer, who's going to give you a liability waiver to have signed by the participants, and then they will carry you, perhaps with a higher cost right now because of everything coming at the insurance companies as possible risk factors. But they would still uh, cover you and carry you as the insured school, organization, whatever. You go to your insurance company as a college right now or university and say, yeah, about that waiver, I'm not allowed to actually (laughs) do that. And they're going to tell you, you're not going to be covered. Flat out. Or if you are going to be covered, your premium is going to go so high that it's going to make the testing costs look like a circus, basically, that we were talking Nothing. about. A light yeah. circus, a sideshow, I should say, probably. Yeah. This is huge. This is not a D3 situation that can be handled by most schools out there. I don't care what your endowment is. Because if yeah. you have to self-insure for this stuff, you're not going to play sports. You're not. Why would you? Yeah. And I mean, you're an attorney. I mean, you know, we, we live in a, a fairly litigious society these days. I mean, what what are the chances that you know parents could start suing the school? Um, you know, exactly. There's really no there's no really no protection there, um, other than the fact that you know they could claim that you know they followed the NCAA rules, the you know the state local guidelines, and all this other stuff. But in a um, yeah, I imagine in like a court battle that. The college is saying, like, well, yeah, we did all this stuff and, you know, had put in place, but the family will be like, well, yeah, well, you know, yeah, Joey over here still got sick, so pay us. But there's no, there's no <laughs> buts. There's no buts in this. Let's put it back on the screen for a second. Look at it again. Okay. Member schools may not require student-athletes to waive their legal rights re- uh, regarding COVID-19 as a condition of athletic participation. Easy for me to say. And yeah. division must develop rules providing that member schools will cover COVID-19-related health costs related to infections that are reasonably believed to uh, be resulting from their participation. There is no, okay, but if they followed all of our guidelines and requirements, they don't have to pay for anything. No. They're basically saying, regardless of their uh, following our requirements, you still got to pay. Or you can't have the uh, waivers that would protect you otherwise. That's, I'm telling you something. And that's exactly why I think... So when you when you did your radio appearance uh, on uh, you know earlier today for that show in Alabama that that caters to like the uh, Birmingham Southern and I think Huntington, Huntington uh, yeah. college uh, crowds, I mean this is why the fifteen percent or twenty percent of these um, smaller private colleges are probably on the precipice of going out of business because all it's going to take is one um, you know one COVID outbreak on their campus and they could be financially done. Absolutely. I, I'm telling you, this is the biggest news that came from this today. Okay, fall championship cancellation we'll talk about in a second. Yeah, not, we knew that was a, coming from a mile yeah. away. Come on. Spring championships uh, for the fall sports not happening. We, we kind of knew that was probably coming too. We just didn't know it was coming so quickly. This is, besides the testing requirements now, instead of guidelines, this is huge. Okay, folks, do not underestimate the game change because this isn't just a fall issue ultimately this is a fall winter and spring issue all wrapped into one until we have more certainty of how to not spread covid in athletics participation yeah division one schools may have trouble swallowing some of this 
especially the yeah, ones that well, aren't the Power Fives. So uh, we had tweeted out uh, prior to this broadcast, you know, asking for questions, and we got one from at uh, VLO94, okay, Vern, how's it going, Vern? Um, asking us, what should incoming freshmen be worried about? Do they lose a year of eligibility? Uh, do they lose eligibility? No. Would they have to come back for a fifth year to play out their four years of eligibility? Yes. That, that's yeah. the way it works. Uh, there, no school at this point I, w I can identify is going to play more than five games in the fall or the spring. So the blanket waiver applies, which means that just because you play five games does not mean you've used your year of eligibility. So freshmen and other class years have a decision to make. Do they want to come for this school year, especially with kind of the uh, nerfed spring season we're talking about? Do they want to put in all this money for it yeah. and then have to come back for a fifth year to play their fourth year of eligibility? Or do they want to basically go do something else this year and basically attend college for four years, basically if you're a sophomore or what would be a sophomore, you go one year last year and then three years after this year split it up that way so that you go four and play four. Right. Look, everybody's situation is different. Tuition is expensive. Private schools are extremely expensive. You've got to make your decision on that. But as long as your school plays 50% or less of its normal number of games in football, that's five, your eligibility will be retained. But that means that you've had to come to school to play those five games, so you would have to go a fifth year to that school to use their eligibility. What would you do? I mean, if you were that person, JB, what would you do uh, when you were younger? Well, I, you know, I almost am that person because, you know, my, my, the twins are, my two stepsons are going to be seniors in high school and they very well could be, you know, hopefully it's not the same situation next fall, um, but it could be possibly. Um, it would be tough. I think we'd have to, you know, look at things from a number of different perspectives on, you know, the amount of uh, on-campus versus off-campus experience. Um, you know, I know they say the gap year thing uh, sometimes will, you know, lower your chances of actually, you know, finishing your degree. Um, you know, there's going to, yeah, maybe it would be if I was a, uh, an athlete, I would you know, take the fall off. Um, I, I actually thought about that seriously um, because I had an opportunity to, to play uh, that fall season, but I was also admitted to a, a college um, up in Vermont where they basically offered me like a February admission. So I would have effectively missed the fall and I could have just worked and then, um, you know, gone up there. But I just, you know, elected to go to go to a school that offered me some academic scholarships and, you know, through some loans, I was able to make it work. Um, it, it would be tough, man. I think it's, it's a really challenging, you know, situation and it's going to, come down to lots of sort of unique family things like uh, you know, who's who could be affected by it um, I don't know where the college is where you know, there's so many different factors it's hard to say definitively one way or another yeah so again eligibility should not be affected uh, for football players freshmen or otherwise that we can tell but we definitely yeah, I saw, uh, have I saw concerns. A coach tweet something to the effect of you know, if you're taking over you know 12 credits you you know your eligibility clock starts and I'm like but if you're not playing the sport like how that that doesn't seem to make sense to me um, you know I, I don't I'm not an expert it's, in it but it's I think, an opt out it, okay it's an opt out in this situation yeah. if your eligibility clock's ticking then you have opted out this season and they have to make an accommodation yeah. for you now this is clear this has always been pretty much the assumption and the board of governors today basically said as much now uh, granted go talk to your school's uh, athletics director and guidance counselors or you know the registrant's office or whatever uh, you have there but uh, registrar's office I should say but ultimately from what came out today, it underscores what we already knew. You can take the year off from the sport and not be affected adversely. You're going to opt out. Make sure you tell the school you're opting out if that's the situation. And then figure out what you're going to do for your fourth year of eligibility. If you're going to even come back for it ultimately for a fifth year. Or just defer this year as it is and come back next year for your first year of academics and first year of athletics at the same time. You have a lot of options there. Let's go to the final uh, category because this is where everything led to ultimately today. 
and this category is championships, championships related issues. I'm going to underscore two of them, two of the bullet points. If 50% or more of eligible teams in a particular sport in the division cancel or postpone their fall season, there will be no NCAA fall championship in that sport. Well, we've had that in Division Three for about two weeks now. That's been a no-brainer. Yeah. <laughs> and if any division elects to postpone fall sports championships, the decision to conduct the championships at later dates must be based on the scientific data available at that time as well as an assessment of the operational, logistical, and financial impact of proceeding. So, literally hours later, not many, Division Two and Division Three's uh, President's Councils stepped forward and said the following. Headline, Division Three President's Council cancels fall championships. Subheadline, moving sports to spring proved unworkable. So, folks... And this was a, a tweet question uh, from our friend Scott Bertrand. Uh, I want to get his uh, exact uh, tweet here from earlier. But he said the NCAA didn't necessarily say no championships in the spring. They just didn't address it yet, correct? If there is a spring, can mm-hmm. conferences force participation on schools or can players just opt out to keep eligibility? Part one is, yes, they did cancel spring championships. Flat out, they canceled them. Said they were financially and logistically unworkable in both Division Two and Division Three. All III championships today. that were to be moved to Correct. the spring. Sorry, right. thank you. Yes, uh, that. But part two, uh, two is again about opting out. Yes, you can opt out over the spring, even if your school plays in a spring quasi season or whatever you want to call it. So that's where we're at today. No fall championship, no fall championship in the fall, no cha- fall championship or in the spring. There's going to be further guidance from the divisions upcoming about some of the things that the uh, Board of Governors asked them to prepare in furtherance of their directives today. They have until the 14th uh, for most of them and the 21st for one of them as well. Game changers. These are huge game changers. These are things that should have been discussed in dictated over a month ago by all means to call your guidelines guidelines and then call them requirements out of the blue basically a week before preseason football starts is inexcusable absolutely inexcusable nothing changed in the calculation or calculus of what we're going through as a country right now to suddenly make this okay or suddenly changed the whole thing that they had to be like, oh, requirements, these have to be requirements now. No. In the ARC, as much said as this, Chuck again last week, that there are different ways to approach this in different testing methodologies in different areas that would be proper and appropriate. And I don't disagree with him in that respect. So why we suddenly had to go to requirements with what were formerly guidelines, I don't understand. How you suddenly are saying liability waivers are not okay. You could have said it two or three months ago. It would have ended the whole game. 100% would have ended it. Mm -hmm. Because anybody that has half a brain at a school would see that and say, we can't afford this risk. Yeah. Period. It's too much. Yeah. So where in the hell has the Board of Governors been on this? To wait this long for things that don't even have to do with the championships that they came out with today. That basically is governance on even regular season activity for these schools. Where in the hell have they been? This is ridiculous. Yeah, well, they're, they're basically, you know, they're hiding behind or they're hiding from the, the Power 5 uh, Division One football schools that make and and plan to make a ton of money every year on football and uh they have basically kind of cookie cutter you know piecemealed these uh these plans to really cater to that audience um the majority of the of the student athletes that have been impacted by this uh, aren't division one scholarship players they're not guys that are gonna you know play in the pros they're you know there's just tens of thousands of you know uh, both young men and women who you know, are playing the sport because they love it. It's effectively kind of a pay to play type scenario because most of them are taking out loans or getting financial aid, some kind of academic scholarships to play the sport that they love. And it's really, these are the, these are the parties that have been impacted, I think in the worst way, but it's everything has been beholden 
to the, the major D1 schools. And um, you know, even the, the thing I couldn't believe about the announcement, they're still kicking the can down to August 21st. And in theory, there are some like week zero or week one football games that could be starting that. I know that certain conferences like, you know, my my grad alma mater uh, in the Pac-12, they, they push their season back to um, September 26th. But there's other schools that are going to they're going to get going sooner than that. And there's still a bunch of FCS schools that are still out there that that are may play. They may not. I don't know. Uh, it's still it's still hard to tell. But at least from the, the D2 and three perspective, when you just did the simple math, like there was no way that this was ever going to work, um, you know, based on how it was unfolding. And, uh, you know, it's just like you said, it could have been just taken care of way sooner in the process. Tracy Fenley uh, asked earlier, heartbreaking news from D3 about making guidelines mandatory. Why don't they employ pool testing? Group players by first team, second team, etc. in offense, defense, and special teams. That would be nine tests. If you get a positive, it would be easy to quarantine that group. Great question. And the answer I gave is essentially this. We had a group of people that were worried about Division One and only Division One, and thought that the testing costs could be borne by Division One schools. They forgot about Division Two and Division Three in this whole process because there are Pretty safe much. ways to conduct testing that would also embrace the budgets of these schools. Again, let's go back to the American Rivers Conference. They're not off their rockers on what they were proposing on our show last yeah, sure. week. Okay, what Tracy suggested here, not, not a horrible idea. There are other ways to handle this situation than you know, mandating testing that's not even available in most states right now because of uh, the COVID resurgence in certain areas. Okay, let's be clear that some of the things that they're mandating aren't even possible at any division right now, let alone three. So yeah. if we had maybe had a group that really wanted to look at realities next to health, safety, and welfare and put the two together so that health, safety, and welfare wasn't compromised, but realities of economics existed alongside it, we could have yeah. played some football this fall. That's what, what I'm getting from this ultimately. Instead, what we have is a Division I guided world that we're living in with the NCAA that said, oh, can't afford it, D3? See ya. See ya. <laughs> yep. So there you are. Yeah. But you know what? Look, this is going to affect spring season ideas, spring football season ideas especially. We wanted to talk to somebody that's got to make decisions about this stuff from the athletics point of view. Eric Hart is the director of athletics at Brockport and is on the NCAA Division Three selection committee. JB's got the shirt on him and uh, look. On brand. <laughs> could spring football be adversely affected by today's announcements and decisions? We've been talking a lot about spring football for the last couple of weeks. Well, yep. what happens now? <laughs> and due to some technical difficulties, uh, we are going to be joined by phone by uh, Eric Hart here. Uh, Eric, first off, thanks for joining us on such short notice. Uh, you're getting the Jim Cat and Zero treatment, if that's any uh, consolation right now. How you doing? I love it. Thanks. Doing well. <laughs> Eric, uh, I, I wish we could laugh throughout this interview, but it's been kind of a daunting day for all of us here. Um, basically, the NCAA has uh, come up with uh, some directives, uh, let's say, from the Board of Governors' uh, perspective and then later from the President's Council. The Board of Governors obviously canceled or uh, gave some ideas as to how to cancel fall championships with a 50% or less participation. And not only did uh, the fall championships in the fall get canceled, but fall championships in spring got canceled by the President's Council. Are you surprised by this decision, especially being on the selection committee, to hear both of those decisions fall on the same day uh, i'm not i'm not surprised um you know our our football committee has been talking a lot in the last couple of weeks um you know we you know we're aware of some of the conversations going of logistically can we move the fall championships to the spring championships um and we talked about that as a group of you know what that would look like and you know we talked about some of the challenges with that and you know what the time frame might be because you know, for us, it's it's a five week 
um, championship. So to run a you know to run the football championship takes five weeks. So when would that end? And then you know what's the turnaround time? And then we do that again in August. And you know first and foremost was the you know the student athlete safety. You know, we had a lot of questions with the time frame of how we could logistically pull that off. Um, and in, in in the same way, balance the spring sports that you know lost their season last year. So um, I'm not I'm not surprised. I know that was it was it was a a lot of moving parts with that one, a lot of logistics. Um, so I'm I'm not, I'm not shocked with the, the decision that they came up with today. Eric, with with regard to some of the the changes that we saw today, you know the the testing guidelines now being made into requirements, no mandatory liability waivers, um, no fall championships, which Frank already covered with you. But how does that really affect um, Brockport for one, and maybe the other uh, SUNY schools across New York, and on their decision on whether or not, um, say, a spring football season might still happen even if there isn't a, a spring championship to be had. Yeah, the, with all the new mandates and, and guidelines, um, you know, it gives us some time to, to, to get some things in place. Like we're, you know, currently the, the testing piece was a game changer for us when that came out, that recommendation came out, um, you know, a few weeks ago. Like, I mean, we weren't ready for that. Like we couldn't test, um, you know, 72 hours before competition. Um, you know, I think the, the, the new guidelines will we'll be able to get get those in place for for the SUNY schools and for the schools in the Empire Eight. We'll be able to to follow those and and make sure we're we're good to go for for next season for for the spring for us. Our conference was talking about you know they were the Empire Eight was you know made the decision pretty early to to um, not have fall sports and then you know our commissioner has been you know been great. Um, He's on the championships committee, so Chuck Petrano has been, you know, really, really um, ahead of this stuff. So, you know, they're talking about they were talking about moving the season to the spring, and I think the ideas were, you know, a couple games, like you know, five games was being thrown out there. But you know, now with with this new announcement, I'm not sure where they really stand as a conference. Um, you know, I, I've I've heard that we talked about it on our committee was. You know, can we can we have um, you know some sort of a, a spring season? You know, with pads and um, you know, there's a new rules now with you know the 114 day from the playing and practice seasons. But you know, I think for us, and I think what we're going to ask for from our conference is, can we can we somehow get um, you know just a scrimmage? Can we have one scrimmage, one opportunity in the spring semester? As long as everything's safe and, and things have changed and you know, uh, we're in a better spot. Can, can we have some pads for practice? And then can we have a scrimmage? Um, we can compete against the local team. Um, you know, for us, it might be like St. John Fisher College right down the road. So I think that's kind of what sure. we're looking for of uh, for our spring season. Just, you know, just kind of a little different than the, the, the traditional season or non-traditional season, but, you know, just some pads and, and, and one, one scrimmage opportunity would be um, kind of what we're asking for. This doesn't just affect football, obviously. It affects all fall sports, uh, soccer, uh, both men's and women's, uh, field hockey, volleyball, to name just a few of the sports that get kind of carried along with this. Uh, would you give the same basic answer for those sports as well, or does football pose specific problems that you don't necessarily see for the other sports that maybe would allow those sports to play out in the spring term? Yeah, I think it's... It's a little different. I mean, obviously, like, you know, I, I like football. That's why I'm on the national committee. I enjoy the side of it. I think there's logistically, there's there a lot more challenges and just the size and scope of the operation, you know, create some more problems. Um, you know, I think some of the other sports are a lot easier where soccer might be able to play, you know, three or four games in the spring season. Um, you know, they can just play so fast. They can practice for, you know, 10 days and they can have a game. Or football, like we're not even close to that. So, um, I, I could see some some limited competition in the in the spring. Um, I, and again, I think with football, if, if if we could have pads and you know we could have one scrimmage, I mean, I, I'd be happy with that. We could do that when the weather's nicer and you know get the guys something to do before um, you know they're looking off for the twenty twenty one season. I just want to follow up real quick, JB. I I had heard some things about when the Empire Eight announcement had come out. 
uh, it affected possibly enrollment for freshmen for uh, Brockport uh, because of the idea that, hey, you know, I don't want to waste uh, a year of tuition or whatever their reasoning or rationale may have been not to come, at least in the fall. Is there any truth to that? Has it affected, from what you can tell, enrollment numbers uh, based on uh, incoming freshmen or other class years uh, that want to play football or any other sport? What has the effect been instantly over the last few weeks for a school like Brockport? You know, I don't, I don't know the exact numbers. I mean, I've had some, some honest conversations with some of our student athletes, and you know, here's what we're, we're looking to do in the fall semester. And you know, I think for us, we're, you know, we're going to allow two to three days of practice a week, you know, do some leadership training, do some diversity training. Um, we'll do some fun things as a department to, to keep our students engaged and, you know, kind of get that, keep that family feel going. Um, I, th- I think a lot of the upperclassmen have asked the question that I, you know, I know better that, you know, send me an email or a text and, you know, kind of what are we thinking and um, what does that mean for my eligibility? So I, I can see, you know, our group, majority coming back i can see some of the out-of-state students that might have a lot of classes online staying home for the fall semester um and that's you know that's their choice and i think that's you know a financial decision that they made with their family i could i don't i don't have the exact numbers but you know i'll be honest i I think a few of the our students would stay home and if their classes are all online we're kind of split here of what's face-to-face and and what's online so well, Eric, another another question we had was, you know, was being part of the the national selection committee um, and having you know, some uh, input or at least uh, information uh, from from the NCAA, maybe more so than most folks. Um, what was it like, to, you know, to sort of be in that front row seat over these past couple of months and seeing how things started to play out? I mean, did you th- ever think we'd get to a point like we're at today, where um, you know, effectively, the, the the fall season is completely canceled, um, or is it really something that you kind of knew was going to happen um, at some point? It just maybe took a little bit longer than we all thought it would. I think you started seeing a, a handful of conferences making the decision to you know not have the fall competition. And then I think for, because, you know, Brockport is in, you know, we're in the Empire 8 with football, but we're in the a different, we're in the SUNYAC conference with all other sports. So, you know, sure. I think you see a few of them that, you know, made the decision. And, and I think that gets the, the conferences talking a lot more. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not surprised of, of where we're at right now. I, I think, and again, I think our commissioner in, in our football conference has, has been tremendous and, you know, just, you know, just sharing information. He's on the championships committee. So, you know, he's getting information on one side of the NCAA. There's a bunch of us that are on committees. Um, I'm not surprised where the fall championships were, 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 were moved. And, and I think, again, logistically, moving everything to the spring season um, was going to be a major challenge. And I think that would impact the spring sports, you know, who really lost their whole season last year. Um you know, and, and and again, the winter too, as as well. Like we had some teams competing in the in the, in the winter championships, and you sure. know, they were they were on site when 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 that was canceled. So, uh, I think the NCAA, you know, you know, obviously did, did made the right decision for the safety of our students, and you know, they just they know logistically, like you know, moving the fall to the spring, um, you know. It would be a, it would be a, a major challenge for institutions, and we're a large institution. We have twenty three teams. You know, we have a great staff. We have um, you know the the right majors. I mean, we could have pulled it off, but I think some of the other schools like that's that's it would be a lot harder, and they may not have the facilities that we have. So, you know, those challenges um, I think are what the NCAA had to look at. Eric. There, we had a poll uh, a couple weekends ago that basically asked a lot of coaches and players and parents uh, that voted in it if they, uh, or what type of uh, spring season, I think the way we posed it, would they support? Uh, basically, the choices were uh, spring season uh, traditional, or, or a season that's traditional with eight to 10 games plus playoffs, the five game or less approach to protect eligibility, or no spring season at all. And 51.1% of the respondents, over 1,300 respondents we had, said they wanted to have a traditional season plus playoffs. 
I asked this, or I use the preamble here for a reason as I ask this question. There's going to be a lot of arguments coming up here by different schools and different coaches and different players about the equity of even going for a five-game season or no season or what, what these schools should do. This is by far not a slam dunk playing in the spring or going to the approach you say, you're suggesting. Do you believe that this should become an all-or-nothing scenario where all the schools need to abide by the same approach ultimately or you know we just kind of toss the whole idea? How do you see this playing out ultimately between all the schools, the 247 schools that are out there, some of which can't even play spring, see Merchant Marine Academy for more details because of the challenges they have there. But the, the schools that can technically play in the spring, I mean, how should this play out? How will it play out from what you can tell? Do you think we'll have a spring season at all? I like the idea of consistency from the NCAA. I mean, I think it's fair, it's equitable, and then you know, I mean, we know ahead of time, like, what what we're getting into. I mean, I wish that was consistent. I think that was the piece. Uh, and again, there's been a lot of changes, a lot of, lot of data coming out and, and guidelines. And, and I'll be honest, like, you know, like, Brockport was following the, when they came out the 28-day guideline. But other schools, you know, they weren't looking to do that. So, you know, we're possibly playing in week four and other institutions are playing in week two. Um, you know, I think that piece of it, I would have loved to see, you know, more consistency. So, um, you know, it's, it's apples to apples, you know what you're doing, you know, we're, everyone's playing, you know, seven games. Um, I think in the spring, I think with, without the national championship, I think that's going to, you know, put some, a pause on it. And, and if you play five contests, you don't use your eligibility, but what's the, what's that timeline going to look like? What's that? What are those games going to cut? I mean, I don't know if our the national committee is going to look at that and, and provide some recommendations. Um, you know, we've had a few emails going out today after the announcement came out. To you know, we're going to have a meeting next week just to um, you know kind of get our arms around this and see what we can do. But I think as a committee, we can make that recommendation hopefully of of some consistency. So um, it's it's across the board. Um, you know, the same. Last question for me uh, is about costs. Testing appears to be necessary still, no matter what happens with the vaccine. Uh, it may not be at the same level that would be required right now because vaccine, maybe you were able to show you were vaccinated and not get tested, but not everybody will have received the vaccine by, let's say, March of next year. Can schools including the SUNY schools, or especially the SUNY schools, I should say, because of the public funding scenario that comes to them, can they afford testing to the level that would be required, even let's say if it got halved compared to what the current numbers look like? What is the ultimate budget-busting approach or scenario that you see with the current testing scenarios that are out there, even if it gets cut in half? Yeah, that is, that, that is scary As a, from a budget standpoint. Um, you know, we have about 110, 115 players on our roster. So, you know, we don't have a, a, a huge roster like some of the other schools that, that you know, we know or we compete against. Um, that, that would, we'd have to really look at it logistically and figure out how we're going to do this. And um, I know like the, the, you know, the rules now are, you know, testing, um, and before it was 72 hours before before the contest so you know once a week we did, i mean i mean for us it, and again not just football like all the other sports that we sponsor we'd really have to, to to run some numbers and figure out how we would manage and pull it off i mean we would make it work we would figure it out obviously with with our success with football like we would do whatever it takes to to get it there but you know we'd have to you know really plan and, and make some cuts somewhere else to um, you know, provide this experience for our student-athletes. So, Let's give you the last word here. Uh, you can address uh, Brockport folks or D3 athletes at large at this point because your selection committee, uh, you know, a position that you have on that committee, I think this is your last year on the selection committee technically coming up here. Uh, whether or not they extend you, I don't know because of what's happening. But uh, what is your message to Brockport athletes, student-athletes, and also to the D3 student-athlete generally that is sort of getting 
you know, uh, yet another kind of bad piece of news today about what could be coming up over the next year? Yeah, great question. You know, I, I feel when I came in tonight to do the interview, I, I kind of pulled into to our stadium and my office is close to the field and there's a bunch of guys out there playing. Um, just, just throwing the ball around. So I went out there and just talked to them for a little bit. And, you know, they were, you know, down a little bit and they knew like what this meant for, you know, the fall championships and, and now not having an opportunity for the spring. They didn't, we don't know what's going to happen for the spring, but, you know, I, I think we, the, the conversation was great. I think they're, everyone's excited. Um, we know, you know, we put things in perspective and, and what we're going to do for the fall. You know, we're going to do a lot of stuff to, um, to be better. Um, I think the, the number one goal for us for the fall is just to stay healthy. Like our, our goal for our program and not just football for all of our athletes is just to stay healthy. Um, you know, we want our campus to, you know, be able to get through this and, you know, we're going to do everything we can to, to pull this off. But I think, you know, stay healthy and then, you know, hopefully we can get an opportunity to, to, to play something or play a game or play a game or two in the, in the spring season and, and then, you know, get back to some, some, some normalcy and, and, and play for the championships in the, in 21. So. Speaking of uh, keeping people healthy, uh, we love Mangoni. Keep him healthy. Uh, he's always been a great friend to the show. But also, you got to keep Steve Potter, uh, your offensive coordinator, healthy as well. Because, you know, uh, without uh, Potter, uh, you know, he claims you wouldn't have nearly success at uh, Brockport that you've had over the last few years. Uh, I don't know how true that is. Uh, he's uh, a secret weapon. That guy's a head coach somewhere, man. He's he's one of our secret weapons. No no doubt about it. He'll be a head coach. True that, although Mangoni's going to hate us both for suggesting yeah. that right now because uh, he probably doesn't <laughs> yeah. want to lose him. But Steve Potter is a great OC, Mangoni a great uh, HC, and the rest of your guys uh, have been top-notch with us over the years. We appreciate uh, what you do, and uh, congratulations on the success. And we hope to talk to you about football in Brockport and what it all means sooner rather than later, but it might be a year removed from right now, unfortunately. So in the meantime, stay in touch with us, okay? Yeah, thanks, buddy. Thank you. Bye. Thanks, Eric. Okay. Uh, thanks to Eric for that. Again, I uh, appreciate him working with us on technical difficulties. I th think we could hear him loud and clear uh, on that uh, interview. Yeah. If you could hear him, then everybody probably can. Um, yep. Your takeaways there, do you, I mean, you hear him talk about the idea of spring practice with pads, which has been something yeah, they've been trying seems, to get for years. Yeah, he seems a little, um, what I'll just say might be, term, you know, even keeled because uh, I have seen a couple of um, D3 uh, conference commissioners today tweet out basically that they're still working hard to make a spring season happen. Uh, so there are some groups out there that are, that are gung ho and going for it. Eric's uh, sounded a little more measured, um, you know, given the size and the scope of their athletic program, um, given the costs as we've gone over you know, ad nauseum in the last uh, you know, couple of weeks. So I think he's taking a little more of a, a wait and see tempered approach uh, because of some of those financial realities. I mean, the state um, universities not necessarily going to have the same um, you know, kind of budgets as, as maybe some, you know, private school from the NESCAC that has a couple of billion dollars sitting, you know, earning hundreds of millions of interest in the, in the stock market. So, um, you know, it's probably going to look different for different leagues, uh, whether that's fair or not, it just is, it just is what it is. You mentioned the NESCAC. Why don't you uh, take our next question, actually, uh, that I think has some relationship to uh, the NESCAC, uh, you know, in a spring football season. And uh, let's kind of give uh, our yeah, best this advice. Yeah, uh, this is from at Gary uh, Palmieri. And from based on what I can gather from his uh, uh, Twitter profile, he has a son who's probably on the, uh, the Bates Bobcat squad. Um, but he was, he was basically asking, you know, to help um, him – understand more about the NCAA stance on spring football. His son and several of his classmates are entering their freshman year with no fall football and hopes of spring um, was definitely a carrot that, that was dangled. I uh, would love to see it, but based on our tweets, it seems like a long shot, even in a conference like the NESCAC that does not participate in the D3 football championships. And, and he says, you know, thanks for digging deeper and informing <laughs> the Twitter world. And you're welcome, Gary. I'll let, I'll let Frank uh, go with this one first, and I'll follow up with him. I, I think Eric put it best in our discussion with him about just what spring is going to possibly have as a hurdle 
which is a certain level of schools agreeing as to what it should look like and a, kind of a mess of ideas that don't ever meet in the middle correctly such that you may never play it. Now, let me go back as a caveat here. What I said earlier in the show about the changes of liability waiver questions and cost shifting to the schools for something caused by the academic participa- participation, those don't change necessarily in the spring because vaccinations won't be 100% by that point and infections still occur. So how does that guidance change between the fall and the spring ultimately for schools? Yeah, I understand student athletes may have health care that will pay for some of the stuff, but there are costs that will not be necessarily covered that the schools are going to have to face and lawsuits that come from this too because of the wording of what we saw earlier in the show. So what does spring football look like in my opinion? that i don't think it happens yeah i i'm i'm kind of with you on this one frank because even you know schools that have more money than they know what to do with like the nescac you know they they still would have the logistical problems of okay you've got a team in vermont you got a team and you got some teams up in maine you got some teams in connecticut you and so there's you know traveling across borders there's i mean obviously new england's um you know, done pretty well as far as managing this. And, and maybe in certain leagues like, you know, like the Liberty or Empire 8, you know, where there's a bunch of schools in a close proximity from a regional perspective with low COVID rates, maybe they, you know, they're comfortable trying to field some type of um, spring season as long as it doesn't impact eligibility that remains to be seen. But in general, um, college presidents and boards tend to be very risk averse. And this uh, liability waiver language and some of the other stuff that just came out today is going to make you know their um, general counsel say like, oh, wait a minute, um, you know we could be get we could get sued. You know our insurance companies could drop us. Uh, we could have our you know budgets blown up because of it. So those things kind of factored in. Um, padded practice might be the best case scenario at this point. Yeah, I, I just uh, I think people that have watched our show in the last couple of episodes know that we've been pretty overall optimistic about what we could be facing here. Yeah. And when we read this stuff, being the banker and the lawyer, and know enough about insurance stuff that goes with it, I this really was falling out of bed today for us. This yeah. stuff is going to have this these documents. You know, all this stuff that we got today has to change. But here's the problem. How do you sit there as the NCAA now and say, that, oh, you know, those requirements and those liability waiver wordings and the cost shifting that we suggested in the fall? Yeah, that wasn't necessary. We're, we're, we're going to do a do over here in the spring and we're, we're going to change all this stuff. And if I'm somebody that gets sick at that point, I'm like, nope. You made that a requirement for a reason. What was your reason for making that a requirement back then? You now have to live with these edicts that you just put out there as the NCAA. These are here to stay now, whether or not you want them to. This is always the problem with making these guidelines requirements. And I've talked to other people about this for the last month and a half, that they said the NCAA is always very careful about making guidelines requirements for these exact reasons. And today we made them requirements Today, we made our bed as the NCA and those around it. And so now, mm-hmm. we almost risk every sport between now and when the government effectively says, everybody's okay to come out from the cave now and you know do whatever they want to do without a mask on or anything else. And hopefully, that's sooner rather than later. But there's no guarantees. Yeah. Nope. No, we, we've, we've got some interesting problems ahead now. And again, the NCAA probably could have tempered this better and handled this better a couple months ago and not put us into kind of this guillotine moment that we're facing right now for this academic year. We, we were hoping to, you know, do a little coverage of spring football. I don't know if it's possible, folks. I really don't. I know coaches I talked to today still are looking to go there. I wish yeah. them well. I don't know if they can. I don't know if their schools will let them at this point. And that's where we are. Yep. Any other questions that you saw uh, across our wire? I, I was just looking a second ago. I didn't see any, but sometimes no, they like um, you more than me. <laughs> no, I don't know about that. No, I think we, we got them. The, the one thing I will um, 
sort of do a little uh, a shout out or plug for is apparently there's a um, a new handle uh, at. 2020 underscore season that is currently conducting a virtual D3 playoff on Twitter. Um, uh, our friends from the ECFC pointed out of the fact, though, that they um, didn't include them as a as an AQ. So that was a little bit of an oversight there. But um, I, at least somebody's trying to make D3 football happen, even if it's like fantasy uh, style. Um, but that's about it. <laughs> You know, you bring that up, and I, I saw, actually, it's going to take me a half second to find it. I believe uh, the ECFC actually had pushed out uh, something uh, that kind of was the don't call it dead yet uh, type of tweet uh, for yeah, today. Yeah, they did. So we have um, from from our friends at the ECFC, you probably can't read that. DC, yeah, D3 ECFC fam, just because champs are canceled. NCAA championships are canceled. This does not mean the season is canceled. Your schools are still working together to find options for the spring. Keep grinding. We will play again. To Katie and company uh, at the ECFC, I appreciate that as much as anybody. I just... It's, it's tough sitting in this chair when we have made a commitment to, especially the student-athletes and their families, to be as honest as possible with them under the circumstances. I know schools in the ECFC are risking their livelihoods by not being able to play football because of the enrollment things that occur. Okay, I get that, and you're not the only conference where that's a problem. By far, you're not the only conference where that's a problem. Definitely not, yeah. So I would love to embrace what you wrote there, and you've been a great friend of ours through this, uh, the ECFC crew uh, especially. Uh, the schools and the office there. But at the same time, we need to really work on what just happened here today. And we being the entirety of anybody involved, the NCAA or committees surrounding it. Because this was yeah. a screw up today of epic proportion for any hope of making sports occur at the Division three level in this academic year, not just this term. So yes, we need to find ways to make a return to sport occur for this division but the NCAA is going to need to get a shovel out and start digging itself out of a hole that it put all of us in in the process yeah I don't like being negative like this I don't and we're almost left no choice but to be because we can't both be realistic and be positive about this there's not much positive spin you can put on it final thoughts but no, I just, um, you know, I know that uh, there have been other conferences today that are saying this kind of the same same message that they're going to work and uh, put on the best conference championship in the spring that they can. And, uh, you know, I hope that that kind of stuff works out and that they're able to find a way uh, to do it. Um, it just feels like the, the news today was a, was a pretty heavy blow. It's going to be one that, that's going to take some time to uh, – sort of sink in like we knew that this day was coming it should have probably came you know two or three months ago uh but uh you know at the same time there was reason you know to be optimistic at times um but yeah the way this language has been structured and and sort of you know put out there it's doesn't leave a lot of room for uh for for hope but time will tell um things are still changing and in flux and the spring is a, is a long ways away so We'll have to see where we are in another six months or so. Pray for an effective vaccine in the next month and a half to two months. Pray for mass production of it and availability. Pray for the idea that people will use their heads and get vaccinated uh, to the degree that they want to participate. That's where we're going to have to go with this if the spring's going to be reality. These are things out of our hands right now. We're going to need to know it by December to make March happen because that's just the reality of it. So we don't know where to, what to tell you. Besides, pray, hope, and, you know, let's get together again soon and figure out if things have changed or improved along the way. And make sure you write letters to the folks at, on the Board of Governors at the NCAA and sort of reiterate what we said in this show, which is there were things done here that didn't need to be done the way they were done in the timing that they were done in. We're yeah. all paying a price now because of it at Division Three, And from here on out, just because we don't make the revenue for the NCAA that they would hope, like Division One does and the March Madness tournament and all that stuff, just because we don't doesn't mean we don't matter 
and shouldn't matter in further decisions down the line. It needs to be con really considered that most sports and most divisions in this whole structure are not revenue makers for the NCAA, but they matter just the same. That's why we have the NCAA, the collective that it is, and why they have the monopoly ability the Congress allows them to have and everything else. We need to do better here as an organization. Let's get them on track because this should never be repeated. I understand how tough this situation has been over the last five months as much as anybody, but it doesn't give us an excuse to keep faltering in the process of trying to solve the problems. Make them do better. You matter in that context. To the student athletes, get out that computer, get out the emails, start writing them and letting them know what you think of what's just happened here because you matter in this more than anybody else does. It's about you guys. Until next time. Yep.